This is Warning Radio with Dr. Jonathan Hansen, founder and president of World Ministries International, a non-denominational end times ministry dedicated to fulfilling a divine commission to trumpet forth warnings from God concerning the imminent second coming of Christ and the impending judgment of God upon the ungodly. God has sent Dr. Hansen to many nations of the world with a solemn warning to the political and religious leaders and citizenry to repent of their sinfulness and wickedness or face the catastrophic judgments that will soon be unleashed upon the unbelieving world. Listen now to the warnings of our compassionate and merciful Creator conveyed through His faithful prophetic spokesman, the host of Warning Radio, Dr. Jonathan Hansen. Praise the Lord. Thank you for waiting on me. How are y'all doing over there tonight? Doing fine, Shannon. All right, folks, it's an honor to be here tonight with World Ministries International and Dr. E.J. Buckhart. Brother E.J., would you like to open us in prayer? I certainly will. Dear Father God, we just want to give you thanks and praise that you are willing to send your Son, Jesus, to this earth and to die on a cross for our sins, but more important, to rise again on the third day so we can have life and life eternal. I also want to thank you for Shannon Davis, Lord, and Omega Man Radio, Lord, that we here at World Ministries, the warning program can be on his air once a week, Lord. That is a blessing because we want to bring glory to your name through this station, Lord. I want to welcome all those who are coming to listen tonight on Omega Man Radio, those that will be listening on television and radio and other social medias. Dr. Hansen, of course, is once again out ministering and we'll be back later this evening, but not here for this program. But we're going to have two programs that he has done. One's going to be with the Apostle Reuben Esch. He is the Beacon of Truth Ministries International, a Garden Kansas pastor and a good friend of ours, entitled Demons Influencing Christians. Demons Influencing Christians. And then Pastor Hans's message on total generosity is God's heart. This is Dr. Jonathan Hansen, and I want to welcome you all to the Warning Program. Wherever you're listening or watching, welcome. I have with me today Apostolic Leader Reuben Esch, and he's out of Kansas. Reuben, welcome. Dr. Hansen, it's an honor to be with you today. Well, it's always a pleasure being with you, whether we travel together, or whether you're on my program, or whether I'm speaking at your church. I truly appreciate you and your ministry. Now, Reuben, why don't you tell the audience where your church is? What's the name of it? Okay, so we are located about an hour south of Kansas City in a small rural area, and the local town here is Garnett, Kansas. And we have a community church here known as Beacon House of Worship. And we also have a ministry known as Beacon of Truth Ministries International. That's the international side of it. It's where we do our radio broadcasts and also our international ministry with. Well, very good. If a person was in the area or passing through and they wanted to visit you, you know, what day of the week do you worship? What are the hours of your services, et cetera? 
Our main service is Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., and uh, the best place to find out more about us would be to look us up online at botmi.org, botmi.org, stands for Beacon of Truth Ministries International. You can also follow us on YouTube, on our YouTube channel as well, which is Beacon of Truth Ministries on our YouTube channel. Okay, very good. Now today, we're going to talk about spirits, demons, because I contacted Apostle Ish. I asked him to be in this program, and he came up with this subject. What was amazing is right before I called him, on my thought of the day at World Ministries International with Dr. Jonathan Hansen, my Facebook, also thought of the day appears on my uh, website, uh, www.worldministries.org. I just posted spirits slash demons are attacking people today, yet most Americans, even in the church, are clueless. Now, I just posted that, and then we talked together, and boom, he comes up with this subject. So I think the subject is very timely. I know I posted another one today. It says, do you cast out demons? Question mark. If not, quit calling yourself an apostle. This is supposed to be a ministry that should be alive and well in the church. And it's not a ministry that's just for a special elite few. The Bible says in Mark chapter 16 that these signs will follow those that believe, gives a list of the signs. The first sign of a believer is in my name, they shall cast out devils. So I believe this should be the part of every vital church. It should be a ministry in every church and ministry organization. I've always believed that, Reuben. We've taught our churches that the people within those churches that they can minister, the laying hands on the sick, casting out demons, and uh, evangelism, discipleship. But yet, there are those that call themselves apostle, but they can't even cast out a demon. Yes, that's right. A lot of groups out there actually even question whether it's possible for a Christian to have a demon. But the reality of it is, is that's who this ministry is for, is for the believer, and it's part of our sanctification process. Well, you're exactly right. I know that I've got seven questions for you, but I know sex and narcotics are being used by Satan to corrupt the minds of the young and old alike. Increasing interest in the occult, including astrology, horoscopes, seances, fortune-telling, tarot card readings, Ouija boards, and witchcraft— proved to be the devil's work, is on the move. It opens the doors. I know Billy Graham once said, quote, it is perfectly obvious to all of us in spiritual work that people can be possessed by demons, harassed by them, and controlled by them, unquote. That was Billy Graham, Reuben. And he was so correct in what he said. Now, let me ask you some questions here. I know that I've cast out demons ever since roughly 1985, and a lot of them. But um, I'm going to ask you seven questions. Why does it seem like there is a growing interest in deliverance today? You know, it's interesting. There's a recent movie that came out, come out in Jesus' name, and I think that's put the spotlight on this subject. And also, Jonathan Kahn recently came out with a new book called Return of the Gods. And so there seems like there's a growing interest in the church, in the Christian community on this subject, and I would venture to say that it is the Lord that's creating that interest. Generation Z 
the current generation on the scene in their late teens and early 20s is the most unevangelized generation to ever hit our nation. On top of that, they have been given access by their parents to technology, many of them unsupervised, most of them unsupervised. At a very young age, they have access to a cell phone and computers and technology, which allows whatever is out in the world to be made available to the young people that have not yet developed a discernment on what should be allowed into their minds and hearts. What we allow to entertain us, what we stay focused on, actually has the potential through the internet, through the smartphone, to actually enter into us. What we allow to entertain us can enter into us. That's the reason Scripture says that we are to cast down every imagination every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, because if these things aren't cast down, they become strongholds in our hearts, in our lives, and strongholds is where demons reside. On top of that, the United States of America, in the past 50 to 70 years, has purposed to remove God from their schools, from our courtrooms, from the government. We have almost completely eliminated God, and when there's a void like that in a nation— it opens the door for other things to move in. Luke eleven twenty four says, When the unclean spirit is gone out of a man, he walks in dry places seeking rest and finding none. He says, I'll return to my house where I came out of. We know that that's applicable to an individual that once had God. And if that individual moves away from God, it opens the door for other things to move in. It is the same way with a nation. And we are really seeing that in our day and age. I believe you are so correct. I believe that demons are influencing America like never before. In fact, they're influencing the nations like never before as they're trying to create a new world order. Man is, again, under the influence of Satan himself, uh, who is in direct rebellion of God. And so uh, the nations are coming more under demonic influence, I believe, Apostle Esh, than ever before. That is so true. How did you get involved in deliverance? You know, that's an interesting question. About five years ago, the Lord spoke a word to my heart. He said, as Moses stood in Pharaoh's courts and said, let my people go, he said, you will be doing the same thing. I was in a time of fasting, seeking the Lord. Had no idea exactly what that meant. But soon after, we began to experience an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our circles and among our people, especially among the young people. As you know my testimony, I grew up in a denominational cessationist setting where they didn't really believe in the things of the Holy Spirit. They didn't really believe in deliverance. And I grew up old older Amish and was ordained as a young man in my 20s as a Mennonite pastor. Since that, we have become non-denominational and spirit-filled. Most church groups don't really understand how the enemy can infiltrate into people's lives. But as a result of this revival that we experienced several years ago among the young people, there was such an outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the presence of God. And with that, it seemed that things began to come to the surface that they wanted to get free of. And they actually began to seek me out saying, hey, I've got this problem. I've got this emotion. I've got this fear. I've got this lust that I can't seem to overcome. 
And so we began to pray about it. And my tendency back then, even though we had done some deliverance with some people on a fairly minor scale, my approach back then is when a believer or a Christian experienced these thoughts, I would simply tell them, you need to crucify the flesh. You need to crucify the flesh. You need to crucify the flesh. Well, after a while, trying harder, when it doesn't solve the problem, you begin to seek the Lord as to what the problem really is. It was interesting. We had a service one evening. Strong presence of the Lord came in. And with that presence, a young man came up that had been struggling in the area of his thoughts. And he asked for prayer. And I prayed for him. There was a strong presence of the Lord. He went home. I went home. And I walked into my house. And uh, my telephone was ringing. And his wife was on the other line. And she said, you need to come over and fix my husband now. Wow. Somehow he had gotten home, had stepped outside the door of his home, and some force picked him up, threw him to the ground, and he began manifesting in uh, indescribable ways. And so my wife and I immediately, we went over and we spent the next three hours casting out somewhere around probably 20 to 30 demons out of this young man. You know, his testimony afterwards was, my life has dramatically changed. His testimony the next week was, he said, there was a part of me that's no longer there. I thought it was me, but I realize now it was an entity that was controlling my thoughts and my minds. And and he said, while these thoughts still try to come back, he said, I now have victory over. I can actually crucify the flesh like you were telling me to do. But before I could crucify the flesh, I had to cast out this entity that was controlling my flesh. Very so good. that was a little bit our, our move into uh, deliverance here a few years ago. Yeah, and that's an excellent example. If you're listening or watching this warning program, I have apostolic leader Reuben Esch out of Kansas and this is Dr. Jonathan Hansen. This is The Warning Program. And we're talking about demons, spirits, in America and around the world today. Reuben, what is needed to cast out demons? This is something any believer can do, especially spirit-filled believers that have a close walk with God. Basically, you need faith in the name of Jesus. It's faith in that name. It's not just the name of Jesus. Remember the seven sons of Sceva, the vagabond Jews that attempted to cast a demon out, and the demon replied, Paul, I know, Jesus, I know, but I've never heard of you guys. Yes. And so he, it actually says the man in whom the Spirit was in actually put a pretty good licking on these guys. So it's faith in the name of Jesus first and foremost. Secondly, you need the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Matthew 12, 28, Jesus said, If I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom is come unto you. And so Jesus, when he was here, he was God, but he was also here as a human being. And as a human being, he needed the anointing of the Holy Spirit to cast demons out. In another place, he says, If I, by the finger of God, the anointing of God, finger of God is used interchangeably. So faith in the name of Jesus a Holy Spirit anointing, and then also being under the authority of Christ is very important. Being under the Lordship of Jesus. Submit yourselves to God, it says. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. And then you can exercise, if you're under the authority of Christ, then God gives you authority and you can exercise that authority as Paul did in Acts chapter 16, verse 18. He turned to a young lady that had been following him 
And uh, he said to that spirit, he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And so when you have a demon problem, it's not a time to go to the Lord and ask him to set you free as much as it's a time to exercise your authority in Christ and command that spirit to loose itself from you or to loose itself from others. Excellent. Excellent. Once again, if you just tuned in, uh, either watching us on social media, on television, or listening on the Warning Radio program, I have apostolic leader Reuben Esch, Apostle Esch. Once again, if they just tuned in, tell them the name of your church. Uh, This is uh, Pastor Reuben Esch, and I pastor a church here in Garnett, Kansas, called Beacon House of Worship. I'm also the founder of a ministry known as Beacon of Truth Ministries International. Okay, and, and he's in Garnett, Kansas. And so if you're in the area, drop by. Again, you're watching the warning program. This is Dr. Jonathan Hansen. Now, Reuben, what do we cast? You know, let me let me rephrase it for people that are maybe this is easier for them to understand. Who do we cast demons out of? And that's a really good question because there's an argument out there by many of the cessationist camps that would say that if you are a believer, or if you're a spirit-filled believer, you can't have a demon because a demon, the Holy Spirit's not going to share the temple with another person or with another entity or with a demon. And so people that say that, I have typically found that they do not have a lot of experience casting out demons. And it was interesting. I was ministering in a church, and I shared a story of a young man that had been delivered as a part of my testimony ministering there. And uh, soon after I was done preaching, somebody walks up to me and says, well, sir, uh, my belief is that we should not cast demons out of unbelievers, because if we cast them out of unbelievers, probably the demons will just come back. Well, in the same church, within a few minutes later, another man walked up to me, and he said, well, I don't believe that we should be casting demons out of Christians, because I don't believe a Christian can have a demon. And so I thought about that for a minute. If I can't cast a demon out of an unbeliever and I can't cast a demon out of a believer, I guess there's nobody left to cast demons out of. (laughs) And unfortunately, that's where most of the church world has gone with this. Somehow the devil passed away with the apostles back at the end of the first century, which we know is not true. The devil's still around. Uh, There's still apostles on the scene. So it is my belief that from the teachings of Jesus— He went into the synagogues, and he cast demons out of covenant children. We see the same thing in the book of Acts. We see that they were casting demons out of the followers of the disciples. And so I believe that as a believer, we are a three-part being. We have a spirit. We have a soul. We have a body. Better put, we are a spirit. We have a soul. We live in a body. And once you've been born again, that spiritual side of you is joined together with the Holy Spirit. There will never be a demon entering that portion of you again. The seal of the Holy Spirit has been placed upon that. But in the realm of the soul, Jesus made it very clear, just as Israel was to possess the land in our sanctification process, we are to possess our soul. And so it's entirely possible that in the realm of the soul, and this becomes a a, a terminology in the uh, New Testament, in the King James, is the word uh, demon possession. 
or being possessed with devils. I think 13 times we find that word possessed in the King James, and it's really a bad translation because if you go back to the original Greek, uh, the word possessed indicates ownership. And if you go back to the original Greek, it's actually the, the word is simply demonized. And so there's different levels of that, obviously. And I do not believe that a Christian can be demon-possessed, but a Christian can be demonized. And that may include a demon actually latching onto an area of the soul where the mind, will, and emotions resides that needs to be cast out uh, later on. So it is my opinion that if you're going to cast a demon out of an unbeliever, you should immediately lead him to the Lord afterwards. And if they're not open to that, maybe you shouldn't be taking them through deliverance. But for a believer, uh, I believe that's, J- Jesus said these words concerning deliverance to the Syrophoenician woman. He said, deliverance is a children's bread. And so I believe it belongs to the believer. I believe it's part of our sanctification process. And I have found believers find great victory after they've gone through deliverance and had demons cast out of their, in, again, in the realm of the soul. Well, I totally agree with you. I've cast out so many demons out of Christians in all types of churches, including Pentecostal, charismatic, uh, all types of churches. Again, just to uh, support what you just said, you know, if a person can't have uh, demons, then neither can a Christian get sick because they live in the body. And and so, so uh, you, you cannot have cancer it, with that theory that you cannot have demons. Uh, well, cancer doesn't touch your spirit. It touches your body. And many times it comes through the will, mind, and emotions. And, and so, again, if you can't have a, a demons, then you can't get sick. But obviously, uh, demons do come in to a person if they open the doors. And I could give you countless examples of that, but we don't have time. What opens the door to demonization? You know, that's a really good question. Uh, I see a lot of different areas that can open the door to a demon, but primarily in three areas. Number one would be what I call sin. And underneath that umbrella of sin, it can be the sins of your fathers. The Bible talks about uh, the iniquities of the fathers of visiting. And I like that word visit because these are visitors. They're squatters, actually, is what they are. They don't, uh, they don't have to stay, and you don't have to let them stay. And so because of the sins of a forefather, especially the breaking of the Ten Commandments, stealing, uh, idolatry, uh, adultery, uh, immorality, uh, especially if you had an ancestor involved in the occult, uh, very likely you have company, and very likely there are low-level demonic entities that have attached themselves to your life that need to be either broken off or cast out. The Bible says in Proverbs 3.33 that the curse of the Lord is in the house of the wicked, but he blesseth the habitation of the just. So I think probably the biggest open door to demonization is the practice of sin, either by yourself or someone in a previous generation could have opened the door to it. The second biggest one, this is really big, is if there's any type of bitterness or unforgiveness in a person's life, it opens the door, as Jesus said in that parable, to tormentors. The Bible says fear has torment. The Bible says that fear is a spirit. God's not given us the spirit of fear, 
And so we see that when we hold bitterness and unforgiveness, like the man did in that parable in Matthew chapter 18, that uh, it allows for tormenting spirits to come in. It opens the door for tormenting spirits. And so I think unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment, uh, those type of hard attitudes towards someone else, towards the Lord, or even towards yourself, can open up the door for uh, demonic uh, affliction and oppression. Um, we have helped numerous people come out of situations where they experienced abuse uh, growing up, and a lot of times that comes with with demons. But we've also found the moment they choose to forgive, those demons have to leave. The third area that I would say is probably an open door to demonization in our generation is through ungodly entertainment. Um, it says in Psalms 101, verse 3, David said, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. And so we have the eye gate, we have the ear gate uh, that we need to guard. And uh, the Bible says the man that hears the words of a talebearer, that there'll be wounds that come into the innermost parts of the belly. And I believe those wounds are, are demonic in nature. We literally have cast out spirits out of people that have a tendency to want to listen to gossip and slander and tail-bearing and, and negative words, that kind of thing. So uh, there's there's a lot of things that open the door, but those are what I would say the big three is sin, bitterness, unforgiveness, and then also being involved in uh, opening up your, your heart and life to some of the ungodly music and entertainment that's out there in the world today. Well, excellent. Again, you're listening to The Warning Program. This is Dr. Jonathan Hansen, the president of World Ministries International. I have Apostle Reuben Esch out of Kansas. And we're talking about demons today. Spirits in the nations and influencing and ruling America today. What are the signs that someone may have a demon? I believe, according to Scripture, that the Holy Spirit leads us. But when I look at the kingdom of darkness, it's like the evil taskmasters of Egypt. They drive us. They try to control us. And those evil taskmasters are a type and shadow of what the devil and his demons try to do in our lives. And so uh, the key word that I would throw out is uncontrolled. The word uncontrolled. If you can't control your thoughts, you might have a demon. Uh, uncontrolled emotions, uh, uncontrolled desires, especially perverted desires, uncontrollable addictions. Uh, you very likely, if you have a tobacco addiction, an alcohol addiction, you very likely have cupping, a porn addiction, sexual perversion, uh, the immorality uh, that really comes with spirits when you open yourself up to those things. Uncontrolled sleep habits, uncontrolled behavior, besetting sins you just can't overcome, especially if you see it in a previous generation. Uh, very likely uh, that comes from demonic oppression and influence. Restlessness, especially when you get into the presence of the Lord or you get into a church service where God is moving. I've seen people get so uncomfortable when the Spirit of the Lord and the gifts begin operating, and they just want to—they just want to run. That's a, especially if you're uncomfortable around men of God, deliverance ministers. That's a sign you have a spirit that doesn't want to get exposed. It doesn't want to be cast out, and so it makes you restless and uncomfortable. But I would say those are some some primary signs that somebody has got company that 
and these are squatters, and a lot of times they come in because they have rights, but one of the key words I want to throw out there that's been lost in our generation is the word repentance. Repentance is such a beautiful thing, and when God's people repent, the Lord talks uh, about this in, in 2 Timothy. Paul talks about it to Timothy. If God would peradventure grant them repentance, which starts by the acknowledging of the truth, that they may recover themselves out of the snare. And so the acknowledging of the truth, coming into kingdom alignment, repenting of your sins, uh, cuts off the right for that squatter to remain there, and then you can tell it to leave. Final question for today, and uh, you, only, you only have a minute. What's the key to walking in victory post-deliverance? That's a really good question because it's a big deal. Uh, deliverance is not a cure-all. It is a tool in our toolbox as believers. And uh, you've heard the expression, you can't crucify the devil and you can't cast out the flesh. <laughs> and that's a true statement. And so you have to discern what's fleshly. That fleshly nature needs to be crucified. And then you need to pull down the strongholds that have given the enemy the right to come in. Very good. Ladies and gentlemen, you've been watching, listening to The Warning Program. My special guest, Apostle Ruben Esch. This is Dr. Jonathan Hansen, President of World Ministries International. Go to my website, www.worldministries.org, www.worldministries.org. Watch and listen to this program again and again and again. God bless you. Tune in again. Next week, I'm going to have Ruben back on. God bless you. We're in our college chapel here at World Ministries International. It's a live staff audience. Today I'm going to talk about the total generosity is God's heart. People have been celebrating today, yesterday, tomorrow, what some people call Easter. We rather call it the more biblical name, Resurrection Day or the Feast of First Fruits. Again, Easter, the fertility goddess. I don't like to use that type of terminology. But Passover deals with unleavened bread, first fruits, resurrection. Passover, Jesus, the death angel, passed over our sins. The death angel, if you were under the blood, the firstborn were not killed in your household. Unleavened bread, again, deals with sin. Jesus covered our sin, he took our penalty, and Again, first fruits. He rose from the dead, and that's why we can live today without fear of dying. Go to my website, www.worldministries.org, and look at my programs I have for these days. I also have a teaching on Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits. You can see it on my website, you can see it on the Rumble television channel, Roku television channel, YouTube television channel, and others. Again, total generosity is God's heart, and that's what the first fruits resurrection is all about. Passover, unleavened bread, total generosity. Jesus gave it all. God gave it all. More than any human being could give or understand. I have coveted no one silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided my necessities and for those who were with me. 
I have shown you in every way, but I labor like this, that you must support the weak. And remember the words of our Lord and Savior Jesus. He said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. That's in Acts 20, 33-35. So the early apostles had the revelation of the generosity of God's heart. Paul was speaking to the elders of the Ephesians church. He explained the value he placed on giving. And we just read it. Point number one, why in Paul's view was it more blessed to give than to receive? I believe we can sum it up by saying that when we receive, we get something out of it. But when we give, we become something more like God that gave it all. What we become is infinitely more valuable than what we get in this life. Our goal is to become more like God in our attitudes and our actions. And by becoming a generous person, we are becoming more like God, who is the greatest and most generous giver of all. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It would have been great enough if God had just given us his son to redeem us from sin so we could escape hell and be with him in heaven forever. But after giving us Jesus, he freely gave us all things. That's what it says. He gave us all things. Romans 8.32 He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things. Paul told the Ephesians that God was not just merciful, but he was rich in mercy. He explains the extravagant giving heart of God, who after giving and forgiving, giving us his son, forgiving us our sins, he raised us up to share the throne of his exalted son. This would be like you and I appearing before a judge for a crime that we're convicted of, we're guilty, and being totally forgiven and freed from the penalty. Now that, you are forgiven and you're made the mayor of the city. I, th I think that would be something to shout about. I think we could not even imagine. Here you're sentenced to death, you're guilty, and the judge just forgives it all. And then makes you the mayor of the city. Think about it. How would you react? I think the word awesome comes to mind that we should be so grateful at the awesomeness of God in his forgiving us, in his generosity, making us joint heirs. But so many Christians just nonchalant take it for granted. That would be so merciful if the judge did that to you and I. That would be a generous move toward us and much more than we ever expected or deserved. This is what God has done for us after forgiving us. He positioned us to experience the richness of his kindness toward us in the ages to come. What generosity is this? Again, the title of my message, Total Generosity is God's Heart. How appropriate on Resurrection Day. 
on the Passover season, the weekend. Passover, unleavened bread, resurrection, eternal life, sins forgiven. Somebody taking our penalty of death and then making us joint heirs. Ephesians 2, 4 through 7. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show you the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus, in the ages to come. We can't even fathom it. I don't believe, other than I belabored it a little bit right now, you even fathomed his generosity. We have no earthly idea how good it's going to get in the future with God. But I think it's safe to say that we are going to be extremely happy and content forever because of his good plans for us. Again, the word awesome. Awesome. The more we know about the word of God, the more we realize how awesome God is. I know that word is used a lot, but truly, it's relevant here. How awesome is God? Point number two. Paul knew that generosity was key to the revival going on in the early church. The reason being God shows up the strongest where people are most like him. God shows up the strongest where people are most like God. The generosity of God. When we give, we become more like God. And the more we give, the more God-like we become, and we walk in that image as well as I believe in that anointing. God shows up, again, the strongest where people exhibit the generosity of God. When they become more like God. Think about it. Where are you the most comfortable? Among strangers or people you can relate to? We read in the book of Acts how these people who were freshly imparted by the life of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, were so spent, you know, spontaneously generous. They went way beyond just giving, but they gave and gave what they didn't need anyway. Selling their own property, giving it to other believers who were in need of basic essentials of life. For this reason, I believe there was great grace released in their midst and the miraculous continued to manifest. Notice in the following passage, and passages that we're going to read, how a verse on power is sandwiched between two verses on generous giving. Acts 4, 32 through 35. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart, one soul, neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power... See, power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of Jesus and great grace was upon them all. Why? Because of their generous giving. Great power, great grace, more like God. All authority, all power. Neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many as had possessions of lands or houses sold them, brought the prices of things that were sold, laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distributed them was made 
accordingly. Every man according to his need. Wow. The more generous, the more like God we become. With power. With grace. My grace is sufficient for thee, Jesus said. His grace would be sufficient. What about your grace? It seems that generosity was a significant theme in the minds of the apostles and that they role-modeled this virtue as a standard for believers to follow, always looking for opportunity to commend openly those who practiced it was generous to give. They mentioned it. They used people as a role model. You know, the widow who gave it all. The Macedonian Christians were prime examples of people who wouldn't be refused the opportunity to give. Even out of their own deep poverty, they gave generously to help the suffering, the family of God. Where? In Jerusalem. Paul was deeply moved by their godliness in this regard and provided the means for their offering to taken to relieve their brothers and sisters in Christ. The Macedonian church. We've all heard of it. Out of their need they gave. This great generosity was a manifestation of the grace of God operating in them. Great grace, great power. Jesus commented on the generosity. Remember of the certain widow in giving as she stood near the temple, treasury observing the giving practices of people. Mark 12, 41 through 44. Now Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw how the people put money into the treasury. And many who were rich put in as much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which make a quadrum. So he called his disciples to himself and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who have given to the treasury, for they put in out of their abundance. But she out of her poverty put in all that she had, her whole livelihood. Again, Mark 12, 41 through 44. Many times in churches, they probably look and see who gives the most and probably treat them accordingly. But Jesus would judge it a little differently. Jesus judges the person's heart. How much sacrifice did they give compared to this other person? Was there any sacrifice and they gave abundance? That's why we know that only God can truly judge. Only God can be our judge. Man will fail each and every time. Point number three. Jesus also valued the quality of generosity in the lives of people during his time on earth. He defines generosity by the amount given in relationship to the amount possessed. Rich people may have large amounts to given to charities, some for the right reasons, others for tax benefits that they receive by the government. God always looks at the motives behind our actions, rewards us accordingly. What is the motive? I know in some places, in some countries, there are no tax benefits to give to the church. A lot of countries. So this becomes a little bit more of the motive for giving out of the love of God. Are we going to give when there's no tax benefits? This poor widow, to give all, 
she had meant that she placed other needs above her own needs. She was free from the spirit of poverty. She had great faith in God to provide for her own needs. So again, it says she was free from the spirit of poverty. Why? Because a poor person doesn't give. But she was free from selfishness. Jesus would say that she great with, you know, gave with great generosity. And again, total generosity is God's heart. That's the title of the message. Total generosity. That's why we have Resurrection Day. Once again, Passover season. Our sins were passed over. We did not become a victim of the death angel. Unleavened bread. Jesus died on the cross. Passing over our sins, our judgment, taking it on his own body, the penalty. That's why, again, there's a point in Scripture that torments people. Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? God could not look at his own son because God was pure. His son had the sins of the world. And the sins of the world were condemned and judged forever removed from God. So at that moment, with the sins of the world, God could not even look at his own son, but allowed his own son to die for your sins and mine so we could live. Again, great generosity. Proverbs eleven twenty five through 26. There is one who scatters yet increases more, and there is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who vote waters will also be watered himself. So these are the characteristics of someone with a generous heart. These individuals are always looking for ways to give more than is expected or even needed. We have seen the spirit of generosity in people who didn't have much money to give. But they gave of themselves time and time again with acts of service, fulfilling their own responsibilities, and then doing the work that others left undone as well. This is generosity. When people are looking for ways to withhold more than is due, it's the spirit of poverty at work in their lives. Not wanting, I, you know, this other person didn't do as much. They didn't bring as much. Thank goodness Karen has some generosity in her. Because I was gone all week. Didn't have time to bring anything to the Seder Food Fellowship. And we were totally worn out and didn't get in until later. Already in the office doing radio, television, other things. Preparing to leave again. Working all day tomorrow. But there are some people with generosity that fill the gap. Amen? Amen? If you didn't have generosity, oh, pastor should have brought something too. Well, I hope nobody said that. If you did, you better repent. Pastor and his wife are going hard right now for five weeks. Really hard we're working, moving, ministering, traveling. Paul commended the Philippine, you know, the Philippians for their generosity in supporting his ministry when they gave beyond what was expected. He commented on it. Why for us to take a look, take note. Hey, there's truth here. How God feels about generosity. And filled up what was lacking in Paul's needs due to the lack of giving on the part of other Macedonians. Paul gave a great prophetic word to the Philippians that was triggered by their generous giving. Philippians 4, 10 through 19. 
But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you were surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distress. Paul's saying, hey, my attitude would remain the same anyway. But you've done well because God expected that. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only, you only, for even a Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Not that I seek a gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full and have received from. And he names the person. The things you sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. God will reward you out of his generosity because of your generosity. You become more like God and you will be blessed and rewarded. It'll add to your account how God judges the way we spend our time, our money, our resources on earth to extend the kingdom of God. Conclusion, generosity is a result of the love of God being shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Romans 5.5 5. Paul expressed his deep love for the Christians at Corinth, the love of a father for his children, which will be withheld nothing in terms of love they need. The form in which would be manifested. A father would do what he can for his children. A good father. Holding nothing back. Sacrificing. If need be, dying. 2 Corinthians 12, 14 through 15. Now for the third time, I am ready to come to you. And I will not be burdensome to you. For I do not seek yours, but you. I don't seek what you have. I seek you. I want to love on you, the person. Prepare you for heaven. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. And I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. Wow. He knew that sometimes if you really try to prepare a person properly for heaven, they don't appreciate it. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. So that's why some parents don't correct their kids. Some pastors don't deal with a person. They just let them continue to go to their church, not say a thing, when they can see that they're not living a life pleasing to God. This is a love that keeps giving until there is nothing left to give. This is the generous heart of this apostle, a life completely poured out for Christ's body. This was my grandma, Letta Hansen. China, concentration camp, could have escaped it all, gave it all on her death certificate. What was the cause of death? She was worn out. Didn't die of disease, she was just worn out, is what they said. She gave it all to the church. 
She wore this body out. Total generosity is God's heart. Have God's heart. Appreciate what this Passover season's all about, that God judgment has passed over us. We don't have to have sins taken on our mortal bodies. We can have life eternal forever and ever. We can appreciate forever the love of God because his love is so generous. It's total generosity. And give that love to other people. 360-629-5248. Operators are there if you don't need to call and find Jesus today. May God bless you. Shannon? Powerful word tonight. Folks, um, great message here from Dr. Jonathan Hansen. Uh, I, I'm enjoying these programs that we do every week with World Ministries International. I hope you are too, folks, and you're blessed, and I want to encourage you to support the ministry of World Ministries International. Brother EJ, how can they do that? Yes, our telephone number to reach us is 360-629-5248. That is 360-629-5248. You can also mail us at World Ministries International, P.O. Box 277, Stanwood, Washington, 98292. That's WMI at P.O. Box 277, Stanwood, Washington, 98292. You can also go on our website, www.worldministries.org. That's www.worldministries.org. And you can donate through Visa, American Express, Discover, PayPal, and Zelle. If you're using Zelle, it's warning. W-A-R-N-I-N-G at worldministries.org. And go to Zell, use warning, that's W-A-R-N-I-N-G at worldministries.org. Once again, for Zell, use warning at worldministries.org. And we'd like you to sign up for Eagle Saving Nations and subscribe, Lord. There's different ways of doing that because we need to get this message out, the warning to save this country from going under the judgment of the Lord. Amen. Brother E.J., thank you for letting us be a part of the service tonight. God bless you there at Ministries, and we'll see you next time. Thank you, Shannon, and God bless. Reverend Dr. Jonathan Hansen has written a book titled The Science of Judgment. God is predictable. There is a scientific pattern for the rise and fall of nations throughout history. We need to understand the laws or the rules of design regarding prophecy and judgment. When it comes to the laws of judgment and prophecy, denominational or personal belief systems have nothing to do with the reality or the certainty of the rule of judgment. Dr. Hansen's objective is to warn leaders of nations of the second coming of Jesus Christ and the plagues or judgments that are coming upon these peoples and nations that reject Jesus Christ as Savior according to the Scriptures. Dr. Ronald E. Cottle, founder and president of Christian Life School of Theology, states that this book is a must-read for Christians and other leaders in the United States and in other nations. It is clear, powerful, and well-reasoned. We all owe a debt of gratitude to Dr. Jonathan Hansen for the years that have gone into the research and writing of the science of judgment. This book has more than 300 pages, divided up in five sections. Part one, The Science of Judgment, has chapters titled such as The Laws Regarding Prophecy and Judgment, Patterns of Apostasy, Purpose of Chastisement, Standards for Justice and Mercy, God Forgives When People Repent, God Holds Nations Responsible for What Leaders Do, Parental Responsibility, 
the feasts of the Lord, Solomon's transgressions and their consequences, righteous kings versus evil kings, example of King Jehoshaphat, ungodly alliances, God is predictable, God holds people accountable, man can turn into an intelligent beast to do evil. Section 2, The Deception of the Theory of Evolution, has chapters titled as Problems with the Theory of Evolution, Evolution and Racism, Darwin's Hatred of Christianity and its Fruit. Section 3, Why Must There Be Judgment, has titles such as The Fall of America and Her Destruction, Cult Christianity, Radical Liberal Politics. Section 4, Kings, Dictators, and Presidents, with the following chapters listed as People Choose Their Nation's Leaders, Qualifications for Godly Leadership, Romans 13, Delegated Authority, Satan is in charge of this world, not Jesus. If laws violate conscience, we must disobey. Finally, part five, so what must we do? These chapters are listed as, we are in a cultural war, our responsibility to a hostile government, the Christian's science of judgment. With turmoil ever increasing throughout the nations as Bible prophecy is coming to life right before our very eyes, one must read the science of judgment to have a clear understanding of these events and the reasons why. Call 360-629-5248, 360-629-5248, that is 360-629-5248, and request your copy of The Science of Judgment for a donation of $35 or more, plus shipping and handling. Thank you, and Shalom. Thanks for listening to this episode of Warning Radio with Dr. Jonathan Hansen, founder and president of World Ministries International. Warning Radio is a listener-supported program. We need your donations in order to continue airing these Christ-centered prophetic programs. Send your checks or money orders to World Ministries International, Post Office Box 277, Stanwood, Washington, 98292. To donate securely by phone, call 360-629-5248. Visit our website to find other ways of giving and a wealth of information about World Ministries International and host Dr. Jonathan Hansen. The website is worldministries.org. There, you'll also have access to hundreds of previously aired radio programs, made-for-television videos, thousands of articles, Dr. Hansen's books, and travel itinerary. Again, the website is worldministries.org. The phone number is 360-629-5248. Remember, the Lord is not slow about the promise of His return, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for everyone to come to the repentance that leads to eternal life.